All right, we're in First Peter, chapter one. Uh, the first lesson out of this, uh, we talked about the bad news. Uh, Peter's writing to a persecuted church in many areas of um, which is now modern-day Turkey, Asia, if you will. And then we got into the good news, which is as Peter begins, uh, he begins with the good news that the people he's writing to are elected. They're chosen by God uh, to go to heaven one day. Um, They're chosen by God for salvation. And because of that, the rest of his letter is going to base the fact that since that has happened, this is the kind of life they could should leave, and um, this is the kind of life they should have, and this is how they should respond to what's going on. So we've talked a lot about election, and we're at the point today where we want to talk about some questions that come up about this. Uh, the more I've studied it, the more I've looked at it, the, uh, the teaching of election, the doctrine of election is so important because I can't think of one doctrine that, that puts so much together that really defines for us who God is and who we are. It's a, it's a real comparison about uh, we're, not, we're not close to being gods or anything like that. God is God. And um, we, are, we can't think like him. We are not like him as we are now, and uh, teaches us a lot. So we're going to, today, what we're going to do is um, answer some questions that come up with election. And the questions are going to be, first of all, um, the doctrine of election salvation is not what we would plan. If you were asked to put together a plan to save sinners you would not have come up with God's plan. The reason is, if we did that, we would probably come up with a plan that would do the best we could to glorify us. God's plan glorifies him. So it's not what we would plan. Uh, Why send missionaries? Why do we evangelize? That's a good question. Well, we're going to get to that. And I'm going to show us a diagram. What's that? (laughs) I'm going to get us a, a diagram that shows why. All right? Um, what is our purpose? All right, if, if God's decided everything, then what is our purpose? Um, why all the suffering that goes on? Uh, election, uh, according to election and uh, plan of salvation and everything, the door is open. We evangelize what the gospel says, the door is open, that you have a choice. Well, is that right? What about free will? And uh, another one, is God unfair? Is God unfair to choose some to be saved and not choose others? It's called the degree of a reprobation. And we can say that. And I'm going to show you why uh, this morning. Um, hopefully this is going to help take us a, another level of understanding God and, and salvation. Um, God actually does choose some to go to heaven. And the, those he does not choose to go to heaven, where are they going to go? They're going to go to hell, aren't they? So is God unfair at that? So that's uh, some of the questions that we're going to talk about. Um, in order to do that, we have to have some doctrinal 
fundamentals I mentioned last Sunday. We, we have to have a real understanding of what sin is, how serious sin is, how bad sin is. Uh, it, the payment for sin is death, separation from God. The payment for sin is not going to heaven, but going to hell. Not going to eternal glory, but going to eternal judgment. And the Bible says that all have sinned. That's got to be, we have to, we have to be solid on that. We also have to be solid on God is sovereign over everything. Either God is God or he's not God. It's one of the two. And if he is God, then he is sovereign over everything. God and only God is God. And I mentioned last week, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, not, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And, and what he's saying there is, you don't know everything I'm thinking. You don't have it all. Also, I used Romans 11.33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable all his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Uh, oh, I want to add on to this. Uh, what I've been covering the past few weeks and what I'm covering this morning and some more of what we're going to see in First Peter, Pastor Farrell is going to teach on it. And he's going to teach on it in Romans chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, and look how verse, or chapter 11 ends. The depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Pastor Farrell is going to spend a lot more time than what I've spent on this. All right? He'll get into a lot more depth. So what I'm giving you is really a, a summary of what's going to be coming up in Romans in a few months. We also have to be solid on the purpose of man. What is our purpose? Why did God create man at all? And the answer to that is to glorify God. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory. There it is. Whom I have created for my glory. Why did God create you? For his glory. Whom I have formed, even whom I have made. That's Isaiah 43, 7. All right. Uh, the way I'd like to approach this is get into ordo salutis. That's Latin for the plan of salvation. When we look at the plan of salvation from beginning to end, we're going to understand a whole lot more of what God is doing with man and with salvation. It's going to help us understand of why do we send missionaries? Why do we evangelize? What is God's purpose? What, what about free will? What about man's choice when it comes to salvation? We're going to look at that. And all of this I'm going to do with a diagram as we're going to see it here. Uh, that's the beginning of the diagram. And one thing I want us to keep in mind is we're going to be looking from God's point of view. We're going to be looking from God's view. We have a, a tendency to look at things from our view, our salvation, our experience. Now we're going to look at and what we know. Now we're going to look at what God knows. Now we're going to look at how he sees things. 
So I have a timeline here. It's not exact timing, but it's a required sequence that we're going to be going through. And it begins with eternity past, and then you hit creation. Eternity past is just our way of saying what happened before creation, all right? Which is everything in the past. And then creation, and then we're going to end up with eternity future. That's our basic timeline that we're going to start with. The first thing's on the timeline. First thing's on the timeline, all right? In eternity past, before creation. Now, where in eternity past did this happen? Well, eternity past is an eternity. So, you know, that, 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 that one I can't even wrap my mind around. You it's, can't measure it. You can't measure it, can you? Okay? But in eternity past, first of all, as Peter's talking about, we have election chosen. In eternity past, God made a decision to choose some people to go to heaven, and that's it. That's his choice. All right? That means they are chosen, if you will. When that happened, when that happened, um, God also foreknew the people, foreknown, if you will. In other words, God chose the people, and he decided to have a relationship with the people. Okay? He chose the people and made a decision to have a, a relationship with them, an intimate relationship, a spiritual intimate relationship. All right? That's in eternity past. And when that happened, their names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Their names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And uh, I'll tell you something right now. You cannot use an eraser in the Lamb's Book of Life. You cannot cross out names in the Lamb's Book of Life. Then what else happened in eternity past? Predestination or foreordained or ordained. In eternity past, when God chose somebody and said, I'm going to have a relationship with them, and I'm going to write their name in the Lamb's Book of Life, I am going to put the plan in place for this to happen. I am going to put a plan in place. I'm going to predetermine a plan where Don is going to get saved. I'm going to predetermine when he gets saved and how he gets saved and predetermine how he's going to heaven. God puts a general plan in place that says everybody goes through this, but each individual, God chooses the day and the time. All right? Romans 8.29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, or he put the plan in place to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. All right. If you look on the, the timeline here, one of the things I, I want you to see is if this has happened, if you were chosen, if you were foreknown, if your name was written in the Lamb's book, if you were predestined for salvation, you will get to glory. It's going to happen. It's, and why is it going to happen? Because God has determined it's going to happen. It's not based on you and me. It's based on what God has determined. Now, how is God going to do that? How is God, what is his plan? 
to take Ashton from an eternity past saying, huh, Ashton's going to be with me in heaven. He's going to be with me in glory. All right? Then what's God's plan to get Ashton there? The first one is the gospel call. The gospel call. The gospel call. It's also called the eternal call. What is it? It's God's calling to obedience. The gospel call. How many, of, how many times did you hear the gospel call before you got saved? More than once? More than twice? You may have heard it a hundred times. You could have heard it 200 times. But the gospel call is somebody who brings the gospel and says, this is the gospel. Talks about who God is, who we are, what sin is, what salvation is. The gospel call. The gospel call is what happens, has to happen in order for us to get saved. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two fourteen, for many are called, all right, many are called, but few are chosen. So the gospel call goes to everyone, but not everyone is chosen. So we don't know who it is. So who are we supposed to give the gospel call to? Everybody, everybody. We give the gospel call to everybody. In Romans 10, 13, 14. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? So Ashton, how do people get saved? Somebody preaches the gospel to them. And that's with everybody who gets saved. God's plan to save those whom he has chosen is for them to hear the truth of the gospel call. That means somebody has to go and give that to them. Jesus said, go and preach. Believe and be saved. And, and the gospel call is not a request. It's a command. The gospel call is a command from God to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a command. So if people don't do it, what are they doing? They're disobeying God. They're disobeying God. Now, with those who have been chosen and foreknown and predestined, at some point in time, they hear the gospel call, and it becomes an effectual call or an internal call. At that time, the person actually responds to the gospel call. There is a time when that happens. Now, the gospel call I put here in orange on the diagram because that's what mankind does. We do that, all right? But the effectual call I put in green. If I put it in green up here, that means God is doing it. So what we're going to see up here is what... What does man do in salvation, and what does God do in salvation? So with God, we get the effectual call. Right? That's, a, that's the time, uh, I have it here in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive. 
That's the effectual call. He made us alive. He gave us life. We were dead before we got saved. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. And what did God do? He put life in us. But God put life in us. He made us alive. We didn't make ourselves alive. We didn't choose Jesus Christ because we finally got really smart. We didn't choose Jesus Christ because we just got really afraid. We chose Jesus Christ because God made us alive together with Christ. And what goes along with that? Okay. Regeneration. And that's basically what, what making us alive means. It means regenerating us. So what does regeneration mean in, in general? Something is regenerated, it's what? Made new. That's right. It's made again. Made new. Okay? Gave us life. He made us new. That's what God did with regeneration. And Titus 3.5. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we did in righteousness, but in accordance with his mercy, by what? The washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. God regenerated us. God gave us life. God gave us the ability to respond to the gospel message. We would not do it on our own. Nobody ever does it on their own. When they respond to the gospel and say, oh yeah, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. When that happens, is because God regenerates us and makes, it, makes us able to do it. Sinful man cannot do it on his own. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in us. God gives us life. Now, how does he do that in regeneration? Okay. Faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. When we give the gospel, what do we tell people to do? Believe. Another word for having faith. It's another word for trusting. Trust in the Lord. Have faith in the Lord. Believe in the Lord. And then what do we tell them? You need to repent of your sins. Faith and repentance. Oh, I got them in blue. Why do I have them in blue? Because the gospel says you are to trust. You are to believe. You are to have faith. You are to repent. Yes, Chris. I have a question, and I'm not sure if this is the time to answer, to ask it. But if we believe that all babies that die are going to heaven, is If they're going to heaven, yes. Yes. If we believe that all babies are Yeah, if you believe that all babies, okay, who obviously don't have a chance to understand the gospel, if you believe they're going to heaven, then they have to be among the elect. Because the only ones who go to heaven are the ones who, their names were written all the way back here. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. Okay, so faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. Okay, we are to believe, we are to trust, we are to have faith, and we are to repent. So that's man's responsibility. All right? That's what we have to do. That's us. But 
What did Paul write in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? For by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Ooh, wait a minute here. Wait. What's the gift of God? Salvation. All right. But in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, faith. 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 Wait. What? You tell me I'm supposed to trust God? But I find out afterwards that that trusting, that faith, that believing, that's a gift from God. So it's not on me. I got to do it. But little do I know that when I do it, it's God who gave me that gift of faith. I don't come up with my own faith. God gives me the faith to believe, to trust. Acts eleven eighteen. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has also granted to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Okay? So I need to repent. You tell me in the gospel, and I repent. You know what I find out? That repentance that I'm able to do is a gift from God. God has granted me that repentance. God has enabled me to repent. So, what happens? Faith and repentance are also in green. All right? Faith and repentance comes from God. It's not, it's not based on mankind able to do it, which leads us to conversion. And conversion is basically when a person responds to obey the gospel to what? Repent and believe. To repent and believe. Well, guess what? Look at Acts 15.3. Therefore, after being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And they were bringing great joy to all the brothers and sisters. Talking about how the Gentiles came to faith. So... Conversion also turns to green. All right, all this process that sometimes, from our point of view, we think is us. We learn later on in our Christian life that it was God all the way, and then after this comes justification. What is justification? To be declared righteous. To be declared righteous. That's right. It's to be declared righteous. It's to be declared just as if I didn't sin. Justification. Just as if I didn't. God looks at me as if I didn't sin because he declares me to be not guilty, that we have been forgiven, that we have been made righteous. Now we have a change of status. And along with this then comes, well, I'm going to read to you 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's us being justified. And if we're justified, we're also adopted. We're also adopted. Now, do I adopt myself? No, I don't adopt myself. Um, This quote here, I think, comes from Don's handout. Adopted. God legally places regenerated and justified sinners into his family so that they become sons and daughters of God and thus enjoy all the rights and privileges of one who is a member of God's eternal family. 
Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons and daughters of God. For you have not received a gift of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, along with all this, and this is sequential, but, you know, actually, that's probably a moment in time. It's not like it happens over days, months, years, or whatever. All of this, from the effectual call, when that happens to adopt it, to, to me, when I look at it, it it's just a, a moment in time. Just a moment in time. But what's next, following all of this? Sanctification. Now, at this part here, we're all saved and everything. And when this happens, God could take us immediately to glory. He could take us immediately to glory. But he doesn't usually do that. He usually gives us time for sanctification. All right? What is sanctification? That's right. It's an ongoing process of becoming like Christ, becoming like Jesus Christ. All right? Um, and I've got it in green and I've got it in blue because I want us to look at this. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. That's sanctification. Work out your own salvation. You've got to do something. You've got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is what? God, who is at work in you, both to desire and to work his good pleasure. Sanctification is us cooperating with God. I think it's basically us obeying God, if you will. And then along with... Um, oh, wait. Uh, you know, the question is... is is why this period of, of sanctification, okay? Why, sanctification doesn't prepare us anymore for heaven. Once we've been saved, gone through all the steps from effective call to adopted, we're ready for heaven. There's nothing else that has to happen for us to go to heaven. We don't have to live a certain kind of life then in order to finish earning the way to heaven. All right? So why leave us around? Why keep us around? Why doesn't God just save us and take us straight to heaven? We're sinners. We sin. Okay. So what? Well, we got to take care of that. But we. What would we have to do, Woody? We also have to. We have to mature. Why do we have to mature? We have to recognize sin in our life. What? Babies, if babies go straight to heaven, they don't get a chance to mature. So why? I've already answered this earlier. So why? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? That's us. You want to know why you're left on earth right now? You want to know why? Because God's going to use you to spread the gospel. So that he can get other people saved. That's what we're about, folks. If you want to know what your purpose is right now, your main number one purpose as a Christian, besides glorifying God, is to share the gospel. Be involved in God's plan now.
for saving other people like somebody else was involved in the plan of you getting saved. But they've already been saved, though, according to what, what you said earlier. But how does God do it? How does he do it? He makes sure that someone gives the gospel call. God uses that. He uses that truth in order to do all of this. God uses the gospel. He's chosen. But when he chose people, he also chose a way for it to happen. And the way he chose is for us to give the gospel call. Somebody hears the truth of the gospel call. The Holy Spirit uses that to go through all of these steps. You know what? This is all the work of the Holy Spirit right there. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Hey, God did this. The Holy Spirit did this. Oh, where's Jesus involved in this? Where's he involved? Where's he? Where's, there's Jesus involved. I, I got the Holy Spirit right here. I got God back here. Where's Jesus involved? In the plan of salvation. The cross. The cross, exactly. God's plan. God's plan. God put a plan in place because in this, way back in eternity past, God knew I was going to be a sinner. God knew all, all people were going to be sinners. He knew that. All right? And he wants to get them to glory. So his plan is, wait a minute, for me to do that and me to be just in doing it, for me to be a righteous God in doing it, there has to be a payment for Ed's sin. Jesus says, that's my part. That's what I do. That's what I take care of. Okay? So you have God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and, and um, Jesus Christ. So, to answer your question, even, yes, they've been chosen, but God has a plan to make that happen. He has a plan to make that happen because he's dealing with sinners. So his plan has to take into account that the people I have chosen, that I'm going to foreknow, that i got a plan to get to glory with me, I have to deal with their sin. And so his plan included all of that. Yeah, Christ's role was also from eternity past. Peter preached that by your wicked hands you crucified him, but it was by the foreknowledge of God. Exactly. That all God's plan in the past, wasn't it? It's all God's plan. Um, I, I, I like it in my mind that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are sitting down around the table drinking their coffee, and God says, I'm going to do this part. The Holy Spirit says, I'm going to do this part. And then Jesus Christ said, all right, in your plan... Someone's going to have to die for these sins. Someone's got to pay the penalty. And that was, that was the Lord's. Um, please excuse my analogy of sitting around drinking the coffee. Romans 8.30. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Okay, predestined. Let me get, to, let me get back one here. Okay. All right. Those whom he predestined, that's eternity past, then he called. He gave the gospel call and the effectual call. Okay? He called. And those whom he called, he also justified. All right? 
And those whom he justified, he also glorified, brought them to glory. All right. And that's the last step. Glory, heaven, the eternal kingdom. That's God's plan. God said in the, in the past, here's who I choose, and I choose to have a relationship with them, an eternal relationship with them. I'm going to have it. I have to put a plan in place for it to happen because the person I'm having an eternal relationship with is going to be a sinner. So God puts a plan in place. Uh, the only place that I know of where man is required to be in it is man gives the gospel call. Okay? Man gives the gospel call. And then God does all the rest. Basically, what does that say to us? It says God does it all. It is God's plan from beginning to end, and he is going to make it happen. So my salvation never was and never will be um, constrained or whatever uh, based on me. Uh, based on all of this, the other thing that's mentioned is the perseverance of the saints, which is the once saved, always saved, means you will not lose your salvation. God does not change his mind. God's plan will happen because this is God who's decided that it's going to happen. And glorification, I'm quoting Don again from his handout, Glorification can be defined as the radical transformation of both the body and the soul of believers, perfecting them in holiness and thereby fitting them for eternal life on the new earth in perfect communion with the triune God. Notice what he said. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. God sees us as already glorified. When God sees us walking around this earth, actually, when God saw you before you got saved, he also saw you as one of those chosen, and he already, in his, God's mind, saw you in heaven in glory with him. Nothing we would plan, um, anything we plan would bring us glory. All right. Um, Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, we are to pray, okay? We are to pray that when the gospel goes out, that people will respond to the gospel, okay? Now, God's already chosen who's going to respond to the gospel. Well, what good do my prayers do? Well, God's already determined everything we pray for anyway. We pray why, Chris? We pray for their salvation. We pray for the salvation because God tells us to. That's right. Obedience. Exactly. It's obedience. That part of the sanctification. Yeah. Really good. All right. Um, back to some of these questions. I think we answered the one. Why send missionaries or evangelize? We got that one down, I hope. Obedience. That's right. It's obedience because God uses it to save people. That's his plan. That's the way God has chosen to do it. All right. Um, one other question I'll, I'll tackle. Um, next week, 
we'll, we'll get a, a few of the last questions here, whatever. But uh, the question that comes up is, God chooses whom's going to be saved. God chooses who is going to heaven. Okay? All right? Now, what happens to the ones God does not choose? They go to hell. They go to hell. Oh, wait a minute. Now this this kind of gets to us, I think. All right? All right? He chooses some, but he doesn't choose everybody. Isn't that unfair? Isn't that unfair? It's God's choice to choose some. And if he doesn't choose them, then he has made a choice to not choose them and where they're going to end up, not in eternal glory. Is that unfair? You're asking human beings. Okay. If God, I'm going to ask a question. If God was fair, according to man's standard, according to human beings, if God was fair, what would he do if he was fair? If he was just, he'd be God. He would what? He'd send us all to hell. That's God being fair. That is God being fair. Everyone that sins deserves to go to hell. All sinners deserve to go to hell. That's where they ought to go. And and, and if and if and if God was just totally fair, everyone should go there, and that's where they would all go. Based on what your thought is, but no, based on what the Bible says. Well, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Me, it opens up more questions. Well, that's okay. That's all right. It it, it ought to open up questions. But we also have to get to the point where I understand some of these things, like the plan of salvation. For us to say God is not fair is based on whose idea of fairness. That's all we have to deal with. But we also have his word. Okay? We also have his word. All right? For me to say God is not fair, what have I just done? What have I just done? I have just judged God. I have just judged God. That's blasphemy. That is blasphemy for me to judge God. Who am I to judge God? Who is this clay pot saying to the potter, how dare you make me like this? Who who are we to do that? See, this brings us to the point of who am I and who is God? And that's a real important one to really understand who God is and who I am. I am not in a place to judge God. I am not in a place to say, uh, God, your plan, I, I'm not, I don't like it. Okay? There's something wrong about it, God. Who, who are we to even do that? We are the created beings. He is the creator. So... Uh, we could go through Romans chapter 9 on this one and spend some time, but Pastor Farrell will get to it, and he's, he, he's going to get a lot deeper on it and a lot more width on it than what I've got this morning. But that's one of the things that is, is so important. You know, if, if you say that God is all-powerful, right? God, yeah. God can do anything he wants to do, right? Yes. Why would he not save everybody? 
Oh, good question. That's a really good question. Why, why doesn't he just save everybody? Why doesn't he just save everybody? Very quickly. God's glory. He gets glory from demonstrating his love, justice, wrath. Uh, what else, Ed? What else did you write down here? Uh, grace, mercy. Uh, what else? We're going to end with this right here. What else do I have? Grace, mercy. How about forgiveness? And righteousness. All right? Where do we see God's wrath, which helps bring him glory? It's payment for sin. Where do we see God's justice? People going to hell. Where do we see God's love? Saving us. Where do we see God's grace? Saving us. Saving us. And not saving someone else. Would, would, would you look at God and say, oh God, thank you so much for your grace because you saved everybody? You saved me, but you saved everybody too? No, God's grace is demonstrated even more when he doesn't bestow it on everyone. His forgiveness, his righteousness. You know what? God gets more glory from his plan of salvation for what he does. He gets more glory by choosing some and not others than if he didn't. How do you know that? I, I could just ask you. I'll, I'll just ask you. Okay? Why, why do you think God is so merciful? Why do you think... No, no, that's okay. No, that's okay. Why do you think God is merciful? All right. Then, then we need to go back to our very basics. Go back to what sin is. All right? Um, Something that I wanted to comment on, too. I don't know if this helps or not. What's your name again? Um, The way it was explained to me, anyhow, is if God gave us the opportunity to choose without intervening in our hearts, to change our hearts, we wouldn't choose him anyway because of our fallen condition. I don't know how you... (laughs) Okay. All right. Brandy, did you have your hand up? Well, I do, but I know it's time to leave. So, Second Peter three nine. Elaborate on that, maybe next week. Okay. All right. I'll write that down. Second Peter three nine. Randy. Gotcha. The only way I can cover it is I say, when Christ is must come as a child, and that's that's the only way I can. Way I can do it. And like Gloria said, it's the Holy Spirit in our hearts that mm-hmm. draws us. Because without that, no one would choose. That's what yes. saying. Yeah. yeah. I think it's in Romans. That's why I think, where does it say that in the Bible? Um, no one does it, not even one. I think it might be Romans or Isaiah. I don't know. Okay. I forget, but. And Gene, and I'm going to close with this, then we're going to pray. Um, bottom line is, bottom line is, God, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your ways are higher than... That's, that's the bottom line. When you can't get the answer from the Bible, you just got to let God be God and let you be his created being. I guess my point is you can't 
statements for God, saying God should do this and God should do that. <laughs> because you, you can't bounce back. I mean, if you use one set of standards, you can't, can't do both. Okay, we can talk about it afterwards. we gotta, we got to go. Heavenly Father, we bless you. Uh, we thank you for the teaching. I pray for Pastor Farrell now as uh, he brings the word from Romans chapter 7 to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.